Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another exciting night of NBA basketball. With the first pick, the Detroit Pistons select Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State University. Chandler again. Oh, what a block by Max Seal! My goodness! The Pistons are digging in. They got the depth. They got the big men. They got the better basketball team. No doubt about it. There's Jaden playing the passing lane. Sky's a jam. Dynamite dunk and the crowd loves it. Pistons need a three and they have just under three seconds to do it. Here's Chauncey Phillips. Here it is. Pistons fans, welcome back to another edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast, part of the Believe Network. I'm your host, Mike Angolano. Joining me is the full cast and crew of the Palace of Pistons podcast, Aaron Johnson and Jasper Apollonia. Fellas, it's good to have all three of us back on finally a juicy day in the NBA. It's been a long time. It feels like since all three of us have been here, I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. We've got to talk about the schedule release that came out today as we're recording. And then we've got a fun little next topic, secondary topic, some questions that Mike is going to run Jasper and I through. So super excited to get into all that and, and be here with both of you today, my fellows. Yeah. I'm, I, this is like, I feel so energized by having real slop. You're right, Mike. This is a juicy NBA day. Uh, this schedule goes dummy thick, so I can't wait to get into it with you guys. This should be a fun one. Um, yeah, there's a lot to break down with the Pistons schedule this year. It's it's a weird one, not just for the Pistons, but for the NBA in general. And we have a couple new things. Um, you know, they we have the the, the play in tournament. The, sorry, the in season tournament. Uh, we also have <laughs> the NBA's rivalry week. Um. Or lack thereof, as right. we should say. It's made up. Uh, yep, but we have we have a lot to talk about. I'm excited to get into it with the full crew this week. Well, let's go ahead and get right into it. Before we talk about the Pistons schedule, which thank God it came out on the day of the podcast, or else we were about to be talking about Jay Nivey's hair again. Um, before we get into the schedule talk, I'd like to thank our sponsor for this week, and that is Bet Online. And Bet Online is your our number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and match reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head on over to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up. Get in on the action. Just make sure that you use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that promo code is Believe, B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use Bet Bet BetOnline, where the game starts. It was NBA schedule reveal day, and we kind of got a little morsel of it yesterday when the in-season tournament, or as I have also referred to it a million times, the play-in tournament. Uh, eventually, I will get this right, but it's the in-season tournament. Got a little taste of it. Yesterday with the Pistons for um, group play games, 
But we got the full reveal this afternoon. The Pistons will open the season October 25th in Miami. The point guard for the Heat to be determined. The home opener is October 28th against the Chicago Bulls. They will have one nationally televised game against none other than the Houston Rockets on January 12th, which um, I saw on Twitter is one day before uh, NFL wildcard weekend. So they're really just shoehorning the teams uh, that they don't want to really put on real national TV right before uh, people forget about basketball once again entirely. The Pistons will have 15 back-to-backs. They have a six-game road trip in February, and nine of their last 11 games will be on the road to end the season. So a bit of a daunting end uh, to the year for the Pistons, nine of 11 on the road. So Aaron, you've got a lot of notes in here. I just wanted to get your guys' initial reaction to some of those things. The home opener, the 28th against the Bulls. The Pistons will open the season the 25th against the defending Eastern Conference champion Miami Heat with 15 back-to-back. So Aaron, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the floor first. What are your initial thoughts on the Pistons schedule uh, that was revealed here this afternoon? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't get like too in the weeds on the schedule, but I, I think it looks just from the, glancing at it that it looks easier than it did last year. It just felt like last year, especially the start of the season last year for the Pistons, they had such a tough schedule right out of the go. A lot of tough opponents, a lot of games on the road. And it feels like this year it's a little bit lighter on that for the for, for Detroit. Uh, obviously, the 15 back-to-backs, it seems a little backwards for for the NBA to be saying, hey, we don't want teams playing on such a little rest. You know, we're, we're, that's what we feel is one of our, our biggest concerns. It's attributing to load management and injuries and things like that. But, hey, let's give the Pistons and other teams more back-to-backs than they've had each of the last two seasons. So, that's probably my biggest uh, concern or, or or negative thought on the schedule. Um, there's a lot more, it feels like this year, games where it's like a stretch of four games at home and then four or five games on the road where it's, you know, there's not as many, hey, the Pistons are playing one or two games at home, then they're on the road for two, three games, back at home. It feels like there's a lot of stretches where they're, they're gone for four in a row, back for four in a row, that type of thing. Um, I mean, they're going to play 41 games at home, 41 games on the road. You know, some people don't feel that anything else matters uh, and that the schedule doesn't really matter. Uh, I think it does matter. I think there are some statistics that you can look at that prove that how the schedule shakes out does matter. And it's not just a, hey, they're going to play the same number of games as as every other team. Um, I don't think this schedule is necessarily a super, super difficult one. Uh, it's definitely not an easy one, I, I, but I, I think it's easier than last year, especially at the beginning of the year, which I think is going to be important for Detroit, who's integrating a lot of a lot of new pieces and just bringing Kate Cunningham back into the fold, getting him, you know, uh, ready and back into game action. I think is gonna it's going to be nice for them to not have as tough of a schedule to start the year, but yeah, it just feels like the NBA as a whole has these goals for its schedule but never properly addresses them to 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 make it work whereas there's not a million back to backs and it just sets up another year where load man- management is going to be a major issue again yeah this is this is a really weird schedule and I'm with you on that Aaron I do think it's an easier schedule than last year uh you know they do have an extra back 
to back. Uh, they they played 14 last year. They played 13 the year before, but they have won less three and four, which are, you know, three games in four nights. Uh, they have won less of those this year. So I think it kind of evens out. And more so than that, you can tell that the NBA has put a concerted effort into evening out the schedule for these teams across the board. Uh, you're getting, you know, less teams that have a, a, an advantage in terms of back-to-backs. You know, you would have last year teams playing 17 back-to-backs and other teams playing 12. Now it's a lot more even. That being said, this is a very dumb schedule. And that's really how I feel about it. You're totally right when you say they start off easier. I know we got onto the podcast last year when the schedule was revealed and we looked at those first two 10 games and we went, I mean, best case scenario, they're winning three. This year, you feel like they could probably go, you know, they have to win a game off of a team that's better than them, but you feel like they could probably go five and five in their first 10. And I know that doesn't seem like that's a lot, but genuinely, I think when you can come out of the gate as a young team and have some success, at least show that you can be competitive at the beginning of the year, I think it goes a long way in building up your confidence when you're young, uh, when you don't have that experience, when you have a new head coach. I genuinely do think that that goes a long way. Uh, they also, and this is a really weird one, in March, they play nine out of 10 games from March 7th to the 21st, 24th at home. And then right after that, they play nine of their last 11 games of the season on the road. It's super strange. Um, I will say the West Coast trips, I think, are a lot easier. They they basically do two West Coast trips. They're, they're playing Houston, Utah, Golden State, and Denver at one point. And then right before the All-Star break, they play Sacramento, Portland, uh, both LA teams, and Phoenix. And they have decent rest in between those games, even though they have some back-to-back. So I think that that is definitely going to be uh, to their advantage as well. So... There's there's good and bad to the schedule for the Pistons this year. It's more interesting than it has been in years past for, for me because there's just a lot more weirdness to it. If there's one advantage they have, it's that they have the third fewest miles traveled of any team in the league this year. They were 15th last season, so that kind of helps you a little bit with the rest, especially since you are playing more back-to-backs than any other team in the league. It's a mixed bag. Ultimately, though, and here's my real issue with the schedule, is that it flies directly in the face of what the NBA has been saying they prioritize and what they see as being the solution to load management, to players sitting out games, um, to feeling to fans feeling like teams and players are not giving it their all on every single night. And Adam Silver has said this. Oh, it's the back-to-backs. Oh, it's the three and fours. Oh, this is why... It's not the amount of games, it's the rate of games that they're playing and the rest in between them. But that doesn't make any sense. How can you say that and then have teams still playing 15 back-to-backs, have teams still playing 13, 14 stretches of, of three games in four days, and then also say with a straight face, oh, well, the solution isn't to, you know, go down to 72 games. The solution is to give players more rest. Do you just not care? Or, or are you a liar? Or is it really the answer is kind of a combination of all three and Adam Silver's just greedy and doesn't want to lose out on any money? I had to place my bet. I think that'd be the where I'd put my money on. 
So, uh, Mike, I don't know if you have a, a different look at it as well. Um, it's a weird schedule for me. I think it's a better schedule than last year's, but it's definitely a weird one. And there are going to be some really strange stretches of play this season, I think. Yeah, finishing the year with nine of 11 games on the road is pretty strange. Um, you you had alluded to it in the group chat that if the Pistons are in the playoff, or rather the play-in conversation, they're going to have a tough uh road to finish out quite literally tough road to finish out the season um the the rivalry week uh is very strange and you can get to that in in a in a second considering a lot of those teams are not really rivalries but you know if you look at some of the games to end the season let's just say that the pistons are moving towards being in the play in they're going to have a gauntlet at the end of march um Leading into April, you know, just starting with like March 15th or so, they're going to get Miami back to back. They're going to get Boston. So there's three playoff teams. Indiana should be quite a bit better. They get Boston again. They get the Pelicans, who theoretically will have Zion back. They'll get the Knicks playoff team, the Timberwolves playoff team, probably pull off a win against Washington. But again, that's a way. Then they face Memphis two out of three games with Atlanta sandwiched. They play Philly. Uh, and then they end the year with Dallas and against the San Antonio Spurs for the final game. You get a lot of playoff teams in there. A lot of teams that could be fighting for seeding just as much as the Pistons are. Really weird to have so many away games at the end of the year. Um, so that kind of stuck out as strange. You know, the travel thing that you had that you had mentioned is is definitely a clear advantage. Um, but you know what? Even with back to backs, this is still. A, a pretty young roster that's probably going to hopefully uh, be fresh, more fresh than maybe the average playoff team that is uh, maybe has more vets and is just trying to glide their way through the end of the season um, without getting hurt. But a very weird, a weird schedule for Detroit. I mean, 15 back-to-backs is very odd. Six game road trip is a little odd. I mean, and and it's in February, so that's just going to be a, a, a slog to get through. Um, so definitely weird. Jasper, did you want to touch on rivalry week, which yeah, yeah. is just bizarre? And, absolutely. I will say, lastly, on the nine of the last eleven games coming on the road, I don't think that's so bad. I might be overthinking it, but I actually think that's kind of good for the Pistons. Because you know what? At that point, especially coming off that big homestand, they're going to know exactly where they stand in the play-in picture. If they're still in it, that's great. You have such an amazing opportunity to prove that you are a legitimate team on the rise by overcoming that adversity. And guess what? If you're not in the play-in race, that doesn't matter that all those games are coming on the road because you're probably going to be tanking at that point anyway. So I actually think I'd rather have that stretch come way at the end of the season than in the middle or at the beginning, um, if if it's going to happen. Yeah, in terms of the rivalry we thing, I, I think that this is, and we can quickly touch on the play-in tournament, or excuse me, the in-season tournament as well, uh, where the Pistons, I think, play four games and they lose all four of them. The rivalry is just, it's ridiculous. I mean, I'm looking at some of these matchups, like the the Spurs and the Timberwolves, or it's not Spurs and the, and the Trailblazers, like Classic. what? 
Oh yeah, uh, two teams spurned by Lamarcus Aldridge. That's that's what it's for. It's the battle for for Lamarcus Aldridge's heart. The most, I think, to me, the most bizarre one though, and there are some really bizarre ones like Mavericks and Hawks. The the battle of who drafted Trey Young and who drafted Luka Doncic. The weirdest one has to be Spurs and Thunder. These are two teams that have been in the Western Conference. Spurs have been around for 47 years in the NBA. Do you know how many times they have faced the Seattle Supersonics slash the Oklahoma City Thunder in the playoffs? Five total. They've played in the conference finals once the year that that, that Durant, Westbrook, Harden team went to the finals. One time they've met in the Western Conference finals. Five total playoff matchups. How on earth is this a rivalry? How on earth? And you could say, oh, well, one team drafted Scoot, one team drafted Victor. So what? That's not a rivalry. That's 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 nothing. That's that's the oh yeah, you're my rival. You picked one pick before me. Death to you. Come on, it's ridiculous. I don't know what the NBA is doing here. And it's kind of like a symptom of the overall, like my issues with the schedule overall. Just some of this stuff just doesn't make any sense. It's like, what what are you trying to accomplish here? It's the same thing with a play-in tournament. What are you really trying to accomplish here? Do you think this is going to drive ratings? Do you think this is going to get any fan base excited or or pumped up? I, I have such a hard time seeing any of this being meaningful in any way. And it's one of the biggest issues I have with the Adam Silver regime. It's this like constant fabrication of drama, this constant fabrication of rivalries and meaning that just doesn't exist. Um, and it's all 100% just for, for profit motives. That's 100% what it is. I don't even think it's paying off. Uh, that's the ridiculous thing. Like, really, at the end of the day, what fans want to watch is great basketball. And that is why, despite all the hand wringing and all the people crying and filling their diapers about the NBA Finals, this last NBA Finals was one of the highest rated they've ever had. Why do you think that is, maybe? Do you think it's maybe because fans want to watch good basketball? And and maybe not because they care about the New York Knicks being good 70 years ago? Um, to me, it's just ridiculous. Uh, Aaron, I don't know if you have anything to touch on this as well. I just think that this is one of the most ill-advised and contrived excuses I've ever seen to, to try and put butts in seats. I, I truly think it's pathetic. You know, it's not a terrible idea in and of itself. You know, I think it's it's an interesting concept, and I think it could be great. It's just they completely missed the mark on the large majority of these matchups. And I'm not going to repeat everything you said, but it's just some of the teams that are included and some of the matchups that are included in this just make absolutely no sense. Not that the Pistons, you know, this isn't me saying that because the Pistons aren't included, it's just these these matchups don't have the, at least in, in my mind, a, a rivalry means there's legitimate history between these two teams. And in some of these cases, that's just not the case at all or not in a, a, a significant way whatsoever. It's just, yeah, they completely missed the mark on what, in a, in a vacuum is a great idea. They just didn't put all the pieces together and it doesn't fit properly. It, it, it's it's not it's not as good as what it, it could have been. No, you're you're completely right, Aaron. It's not a terrible 
cool idea in and of itself. It's you're, you're totally right. It's the execution and, and the fact that they're trying to sell it as being an actual rivalry week when it's not. I mean, you have the Mavericks. The Mavericks rivals in this are the Hawks and the Suns. How does what? The ask anybody who's a basketball fan in Texas. The Spurs and the Rockets. Those are the rivals. And yeah, I mean, like it, perhaps it's us being self-aggrandizing as Pistons fans, but how on earth are the Pistons not in here? Talk, talk about a franchise that like 95% of the NBA has hated at one point of another. How how I mean, come on, Bulls Pistons. You know, they might have had a little bad blood back in the day. Have you ever heard of that? Did you guys did you guys know that um that the Celtics and the Pistons didn't know he didn't like each other very much? Have you heard of that? You know, it's not like there's been multiple documentaries made on all this stuff um where people are still rehashing stuff that happened 30 years ago, <laughs> right? But but no, the Pistons, beloved NBA franchise, no rivals, everybody loves us. Um, yeah, it's just ridiculous. A decent idea, terrible, terrible execution. Much I mean, like I think the play-in tournament is going to end up. Well, yeah, I mean, if if you wanted a real rival week, then it would be everybody against Golden State because they were the, they were probably the most recent. Everybody hates this team. Um, they had picked up the mantle with KD. Yeah, I mean, some of these are weird, but you know, I I get it. But the general NBA fan that isn't tuned in maybe as tightly as we are would probably not get it. I mean, Brooklyn and the next era, the Knicks fine. Um, oh, they're please. constantly going at, at each other on social media, but that's Mike, just, inter- I, I live in New York. Let me tell you, oh, they don't a, care. A good point. They don't care. <laughs> the Nets fans do not care about, they like the Knicks. Like Nets fans are halfway support the Knicks. Knicks fans don't think about Nets fans at all, ever. But but what I mean is, like, for the general fan, you could see that, like, geographically, that at least makes sense. Clippers, Lakers, it makes sense. Um, The Thunder and the Spurs does not. Uh, The Mavs and the Hawks does does not make a lot of sense unless you know what happened with Trey Young and Luka Doncic and the trade. Some of these just make no sense. I mean... The Kings and the Warriors, they they just played in the playoffs last year. That's 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 it. It's not anything other than that, really. I mean, the Kings had no rivalry for years, like more than a decade while while they were floundering at the bottom of the West. I mean the, the Kings' biggest rival is relevancy. Right. It was uh right, yeah, it was uh Vladi Divac. That's that's who they should have had was the Kings against Vladi. Because <laughs> that was the that was the largest rival, but yeah, it's odd, and you know the play-in tournament. You know, I I talked about this on on another show. The play-in tournament is just going to be a feel it out type of event. I mean, it's odd. It's going to be odd to have games matter in November. I mean, quote unquote matter. It's it's a half a million bucks for each player that is on the winning team that wins the NBA Cup, which is a terrible name. Um. But, you know, squished into the schedule is the in-season tournament, which um, Jasper had a good segue towards. The Pistons uh, are going to be playing the 76ers on November 10th. They're going to be hosting the Hawks on the 14th, and then they're going to play at Cleveland on the 17th and at Indiana on the 24th, and those will be the four group play games. Uh, 
before moving on to the next stage, which I think is the knockout stage. If I had read that correctly, none of these games are national television, but the 76ers and the Hawks at home and then Cleveland and Indiana on the road uh, in the month of November. Um, Jasper, you, you were talking about the in-season tournament earlier. Um, I am a little skeptical of it, but I think it's going to be something that players are going to have to feel out to see how much they really care about it. And, um, what what are your overall thoughts on the in-season tournament? Probably similar, similar to Rivalry Week. I mean, a little less. I think that's one of those things where we will see if it works, right? We'll see how much the players care. I do think they will matter. Like, I, the only way you could do it and make it work, I will give them this, is to have those play-in games, as we're calling them, be regular season games for these teams. Because there's an incentive to play your best players, uh, and to try hard, even outside of the tournament itself. So I think that from that perspective, they did a good job. That was the correct decision. I just, I think when you get to those knockout stages, I really wonder, I mean, if you're a play and playoff team, like what is your incentive to play your starters for an extra two, three games? I, I just don't see that. Um, and for half a million dollars, like, Again, it makes a lot of sense for back of the bench guys, but for, I mean, God, Jalen Brown's going to be making what sixty million dollars a year. You think he really cares about five hundred grand? I don't know. I, I have a hard time seeing these games once you get past the regular season aspect of it mattering. Aaron, I don't know if you have a different perspective on it, but that's how I see it. Nope, I'm I'm in agreement. I mean, like you said these guys making $50 million a year, they are not worried about the, the 500 grand, the, the, the million dollars that's on the line in, in the play in tournament. It just, I don't see how it's going to matter to them. I don't see how any of those, those teams or those players really get up for, for that type of event. I mean, maybe for the younger teams, it helps. It gets them that type of playoff atmosphere type of event where there's a little more pressure. But again, if they're playing teams that have these bigger name guys that aren't playing or aren't trying or, you know, it just doesn't matter to them, then they're really not going to get that type of high pressure environment where they're playing teams who are playing at their highest level. So we'll see. I I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's great. Obviously I, I want bas the basketball to be the best it can be, but yeah, it's, I'm going to have to see it to to believe that there's a legitimate buy-in behind this the, this product. Ultimately, so, ultimately, where I fall on it is like here's here's the problem: you had to make those games regular season games in order to make every team compete for them. But the problem there is that the teams that would actually be incentivized to win the tournament and to play their players there because it could actually represent. Um, a, a, some sort of success for the season, the teams that are not making the playoffs, that are not title contenders, well, those teams are likely going to be knocked out. It's very unlikely that they're going to be in the play, the, the actual knockout games. So when you get to that point, my biggest worry is that you're going to have a bunch of teams that don't care about the, the knockout games, whereas the teams that would care about those knockout games have already been eliminated because they lost in the regular season. So I, I think, you know, they kind of were between a rock and a hard place. You had to make those games matter. But the downside of it is when you actually get to 
the games that matter for this particular tournament, it's hard to see teams actually giving. Right. So we're we're kind of all in agreement that it's going to be a feel it out. Let, let's see if the players really care about some games at the beginning of the season, which is normally a time when teams are tinkering with their lineups and figuring out rotations and, you know, and whatnot. ESPN's Bobby Marks said that uh, the natural evolution of the play-in tournament to make it more enticing is that the winner is guaranteed a playoff spot at the end of the season. Terrible so... idea. Terrible idea. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron, I would actually like to hear, do you think that's a good idea, Aaron? I think that's a horrible idea. Yeah, I mean, there's not much more to say. That's just not, it's not it. It's not a good idea. This. No, absolutely not. You have an 82-game season to determine who makes the playoffs, and one team only has to win, not even win six games, win like five out of six games, uh, or five out of seven games, whatever it is, in order to, you know, six out of seven games to make the playoffs. That just defeats the entire purpose of having an 82-game regular Can you imagine if, like, for the Tigers, the Tigers get to make the playoffs because they sweep uh, uh, one series with like the Indians or something. How absurd! It's absurd. <laughs> it's it's really weird. Um, it's also a terrible idea. But it's it's an interesting thought of like, okay, what do we need to do to get guys to care about the play instrument? I mean, guaranteeing the playoffs is that is an extreme. Um reward for winning the play-in and it's definitely stupid if if you could win six games between uh november and december and you make the playoffs what what are these guys going to do then then you have an entirely new tanking problem or rather uh uh dnp coach's decision for the rest of the year as that team just preps for the playoffs in you know four months mike mike so, mike Joel Embiid might play seven games. It just just play Joel Embiid for seven games a season, right? Play right. LeBron, LeBron James actually could play till he's sixty. All he's got to do is play seven games a year. Why not? Right. The jumper is the last thing that goes, so he could feasibly just uh, ride this out. So it's it's a terrible idea, but it's at least an interesting thought exercise of what do you know? What could it take for players to care? that early in the season because that's what it's going to come down to and also as soon as an injury happens the moment an injury happens it's it's probably game over you know a game that you would have seen Kawhi Leonard to use an example a game where Kawhi Leonard maybe would have traditionally not played a back-to-back or would not have played for injury management on his knee but suddenly he's playing for you know to win this in-season tournament injures his knee for a third time season's over God forbid it happens in the championship game in Vegas, which does not count towards the regular season win total, nor do the stats count for seasonal stats. But let's just say it happens in a in a championship game. Somebody gets hurt in the in a 83rd game that they're not supposed to be playing. Uh the ML, the the NBA players union would be having a like a heart attack and they would be preparing to boycott the NBA. So it's gonna be a tricky tightrope to walk, but it's at least a compelling thought of like, how do we get guys to care? Let's just say that it goes poorly this year. I mean, going back to the drawing board for next year, they're going to have to come up with something that's a little more enticing, but 
a guaranteed playoff spot is just a little bit, a little bit too far. Um, guys, anything else on the schedule being released? Oh. Any of the Christmas Day games entice you as a general NBA fan? Well, I was going to say the Pistons have uh, one real national game. Oh yes, I, I wanted right. to say that they do have one yes. actual televised game they have three nba tv games those don't count right um those just might as well not be televised uh yeah they have one game against on espn against the rockets shoot that's a why not put rockets pistons for rivalry week? that's much more of a rivalry than some of those other games for sure genuinely genuinely there's a little bit of bad blood and shoot the only time they let those teams play on national tv is against each other too so well there's bad blood and now you have the thompson twins you know, just added on top of that. So makes a whole lot of sense. Um, but yes, they, they do have a legit play on ESPN game. I think I think Charlotte is playing on that day as well. Um so it, it's 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 a weird it's a weird just a day. throwaway day for ESPN. There's they're just like, all right, we'll we'll get all the bad. Like I said, it's it's the day before NFL wildcard weekend. Yeah, they know what um, <laughs> yeah, they 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 had a plan in mind. Um Christmas Day games, obviously the Pistons are not one of those, but Bucks, Knicks, Warriors, Nuggets, Celtics, Lakers for the five o'clock, 76ers, Miami, and then Dallas, Phoenix for what seems like the eighth year in, in, in a row. Um any of the Christmas games interest you? Because now the NBA is gonna be going up against the NFL uh for I wish the NBA could just have its day because I am yeah. I look forward to Christmas Christmas NBA every year. I mean, I I really genuinely look forward to it. And I know that I, when I go over our family's house on Christmas Day, uh it's gonna be a battle to get that TV. Uh the NFL is going to to really make that an, an issue. I'm gonna have to bring like a second screen or something or go sit in a, in a a quiet room somewhere else to, to watch the games. Cause it, it, that is, that is very unfortunate. The NFL had to, to step in there and ruin that. But I, I look forward to Chris Christmas day basketball every year. So I, I like some of the matchups. I mean, they're pretty predictable. You know what you're going to get, you know, you're going to get super the, predictable. You know, you're going to get the, the, the same top teams, the same top bigger name franchises every year, but I, I still love it. There's just something special about Christmas NBA to me. So I, I look forward to it. And I'm excited for it. I'm I'm with you, Aaron. I always like, I love Christmas NBA games. Like they're always just fun. Some of like the best regular season games happen on Christmas as well. Um, Mike, I'm sure you definitely remember the, the matchups that the, uh, the, the, the Cavaliers and the Warriors had. I mean, amazing regular season games those right. are always so memorable yeah it does it is a shame that they will be competing with the nfl this year but you know roger goodell will not stop until he has destroyed everything in his path right. as is his uh prerogative uh-huh. but yeah ultimately i think that's kind of a shame for me i'm kind of with you aaron i just like it the thing I'm most intrigued to see is what it would take for the Knicks not to get a nationally televised game That's a great on question. Christmas Day. <laughs> or, like, what would, what would it take? Uh, I, I genuinely, like, would Manhattan have to burn down to the ground oh, or something? Yeah. I think even then, even then they might put them on there. I, I can't. They gotta, 
I, I complain about this every single year, and I'm going to do it again. 20 nationally televised games for the Knicks this year. 20. How? At least they're a like, playoff team now. I, am I the only one who, whenever I see the Knicks on like ESPN or TNT, I'm like, I'll watch something else. Those games are just not compelling to me ever. They're slugfests. I don't find them entertaining. I don't like watching that team. And I don't really know anybody that does like watching them. So to me, it's bizarre. Obviously, they drive ratings. For the life of me, I don't know. Um. Well, they are the Knicks. Uh, and if they have a Christmas Day game with Pablo Prigioni being rolled out as a starting point guard, it's going to take a lot to not have them be on Christmas Day. <laughs> it's going to take a lot. Um, oh, the stars are... you get them out of the way early. The stars are out. Quentin Richardson, Eddie Curry, your New York Knicks. <laughs> uh, yeah, boy, Eddie Curry is really just pulling one out of the bag. Uh, but you're right. But at least they're a playoff team. Uh, you know, the brand of basketball that they play is not at all exciting. Um, I mean, Jalen Brunson is exciting, um, but it, it's a slow Tom Thibodeau style of basketball that is perfect to get out of the way at noon. And then you can get onto the other teams that play with more tempo and, you know, the offense is a little more electric. So, yeah, I don't know what it would take to get the Knicks off there. I mean, maybe they uh I mean, even even if they were like disbanded, they might just play like like an old Knicks game in that spot anyway, like in memory. Um guys, a- anything else on the schedule before we move on to our next topic? No, I I didn't even know we had this much schedule talk in us. I I mean, this went way longer than Aaron I, were starved I I was looking forward to the, the the to the upcoming topic so maybe I'm I'm biased but I I just didn't think we were going to go that long on the schedule ja- Jasper had a lot to say Jasper absolutely carried that segment yeah I don't know man this schedule got me heated I I don't know Adam Silver he's on my last nerve today I don't know what it is but I I had to go into this thing because I just truly think I think this is one of the most bizarre NBA schedules I've seen in a really long time, and I don't know what the NBA is doing. So we'll see. It'll be fun. But I also am really looking forward to this next segment. So I, I, I'm just going to be quiet. I'm going to let Mike in. Yes, we're going to play a little game of true or false with some discussion about each. I've got seven true or false questions for you um, of varying uh things that could happen throughout the Pistons season. And I want you guys to give me if it's going to be true or if it's going to be false and then give me just a little bit of a reason why um, some of them are going to be player specific. Actually, I think all of them are player specific, but I have an eighth question that um, I, I did not put on our notes sheet that I didn't want you to think about too much ahead of time. So true or false, um, Aaron, I'm going to start with, you so you can answer first and then we'll just rotate so jasper will take the next one and then so on and so forth so true or false question number one there's been a lot of hype about kate cunningham with team usa will kate cunningham lead the team in points per game yes yes true sorry true uh i think kate is is going to have a big season I've remained constant in my belief that that Cade Cunningham is is the guy, was the guy when the Pistons drafted him one, is the guy now. 
Uh, all of the talk that we're hearing across the league is Kate Cunningham is 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 dominating the competition. He is ready to go for next year. Now, I I think Kate is is getting the recognition that that's and he's going to prove he he deserved it uh, once the season starts back up. And even if that doesn't translate to to success in the win and loss record, uh, it's going to be very clear that Kate Cunningham is that guy. And a lot of those guys lead their team in points per game, uh, even with some of the other guys that that can score the ball in, in bunches. Uh, I, I just think there, there's no there's no other person that that can do it like Cade can. Uh, we saw it in, in in his rookie year, especially in the second half of his rookie year. Uh, he could get it going and and he could score in so many different ways. He's going to be more mature now. Should be healthier, better body, stronger body. Uh, hopefully, the jump shot's a little bit more developed, a little bit more consistent. Cade's the number one guy. He's the number one option. Uh, I I don't see uh, anyone else beating him out in this category. True. Kate Cunningham will lead the Pistons in points per game this upcoming season. Yep. I'm in lockstep with you here. Uh, There's only two reasons why Cade would not be the leading scorer for Detroit. Uh, The first one would be that the season is a complete disaster and a wash again where he is hurt uh, and in and out of the lineup. And Boyan Bogdanovich is once again forced to be the primary offensive option in terms of scoring. Uh, the other reason would be that Jaden Ivey takes a huge leap. Uh, and that is, you know, it could happen. I don't think it's realistic that he would overtake Cade. Uh, but I think those are the only two reasons why Cade Cunningham would not be the leading scorer for Detroit this year. I'm absolutely expecting 20 plus points per game from him. Uh, anything else would definitely be a disappointment. Okay. Good answers. Um, I think he's also going to lead the team in points per game. Um, the only scenarios where that doesn't happen, I think, Jasper, you had mentioned it. If if Cade becomes uh, more of a run-the-offense guy and less of a needs-to-score kind of a guy, and Jay Nivey takes that step. But I, I, I don't see that happening. Uh, based on the role that Team USA is having him play, I don't see that sort of going in that direction. I They're going to be reliant on his ability to score the basketball uh, in addition to spreading it out, hopefully with more shooters on the roster. Um, so I agree. He should be leading the team in points per game. True or false? Jasper, you're up first. Jay and Ivy will lead the team in assists per game. I, I'm going to say false. Uh, I, I, I think it will be Cade Cunningham. He's still, in my opinion, the best passer on this team. He's the most complete offensive player, and he is the guy that the offense should run through, ultimately. I've been very clear. I think Jaden Ivey should be the guy bringing the ball up the floor more often because he is so fast and quick, and I think that he can create um, instant matchup problems for teams if he's just taking the ball up the floor, whether it's in transition or even in the half court. Uh, if he can catch teams unaware he is going to be able to get downhill. And I think that that's going to be a huge boon for Detroit. But ultimately, when the Pistons are playing the majority of their sets in the half court, it is going to be running through Kate Cunningham. Uh, he is going to be the guy, in my opinion, that will lead the team in assists. Uh, I think he'll be about an assist and a half per game above Jaden Ivey. I anticipate Jaden being more of a shooting guard this year than he was last year. So I will say false. 
Shoot, sorry to be uh, sorry for the lack of debate, but I I agree with Jasper. I mean, pretty much for for all the same reasons, right? Ball's going to be in Kate Cunningham's hands. Uh, the the talk out of Team USA is, oh, they use him, you know, in that Luka Doncic type role where he's running everything. And if I'm the Pistons, if I'm Monty Williams, uh, that's how I'd like to use Kate Cunningham. I, I I think even if they didn't use him like that, Kate's just a guy that it, it moves the ball, isn't the type of of star to where. Even if he does average 25 a game, he's still going to be moving the ball. It's not going to be a Cade took 27 shots tonight and and has two assists to show for it. It's going to be, yeah, he scored 25, but he ended up dishing out nine assists. Like, Cade just naturally gets into every possession like that. He's going to have the ball in his hands a ton. Uh, I I just, I think Jaden Ivey is, again, going to benefit from in a scoring way of he's not going to be has to do as much ball handling and distributing responsibilities with Cade back on the court. So, yeah, I think Cade leads the team in assists. So I'll go false on Jaden Ivey leading uh, the team in assists per game. Don't don't get me wrong. Like, it, I, I'm not comparing the two players, but I think of Cade as somebody like LeBron James in the sense of, like, LeBron would average 30 points a game, and you would be like, no, but he's a pass-first player. And exactly to what you said, Aaron, like, I think even if Cade was averaging 25 points per game, he would still be a pass first player, a create for others first player. I don't. All right. So not a whole lot of uh, deviation so far. We'll go on to our next question. Aaron, is Isaiah Stewart going to average or I I guess rather true or false? Isaiah Stewart will average five plus three point attempts per game for the season dude i'm gonna say false this was a tough one for me because i i I could i could see it being true i'm gonna lean false because i i think there's too many guys are gonna be vying for minutes uh at, at the four and five spot and i just don't know if the pistons need isaiah stewart taking that many three point shots a game now if isaiah stewart comes out and is shooting 37%, 38% 37%, 38% from the three-point line, then it's a different story. But from what we've seen so far in his career, despite what's been said, uh, the numbers don't point to Stewart being this great floor spacer yet. So if there's not a legitimate, legitimate jump in efficiency, I, I don't want to see this type of volume from Stewart. I will say false here. So for what it's worth, uh he averaged 4.1 three-point attempts per game last year. So essentially just adding one more attempt per game. Yeah. Just for I, context. I'm going to say this. Last year, there were 69 players that averaged five or more three-point attempts per game. Seven of them uh, played power forward primarily. And and that's even including guys like Kyle Kuzma. I have a very hard time seeing that happen uh, do i think he could be uh shooting like four per game if you would put it at four i would have to think a lot harder but in order for him to be a five per game he would have to be one of the more prolific uh three-point shooting power forwards in the league again we've talked about this a million times whether or not he gets to that point is to be seen but this year i have a very very hard time seeing that uh, five would be a lot i mean shoot Last year, Boyan Bogdanovich attempted six three-pointers per game. So for context, that's just a really, that's a lot of volume uh, for a guy that just has not really proven it. So I'm going to say false as well. Okay. 
in lockstep so far. True or false, Jasper? Asar Thompson finishes top three for Rookie of the Year. Oh, I hate that you're going to do this to me. I hate that you're going to do this to me, Mike. I, I am going to say, uh, against my better judgment, I'm going to say true. And I really have a hard time saying true because he's playing in Detroit. He's not like he's going to be the first option. He is going to be... Uh, he's going to be a tertiary player. He probably isn't even going to start to begin the season. But when you look at the other rookies in this class and what their roles will be, I think he has an excellent opportunity to where if the Pistons can improve their record and he can be a big part of that, I think he can, much like Scotty Barnes, a guy who was not the focal point of the team by any means, but did all those little things right, I think he can kind of have a candidacy like that uh, whereas your Victor Webanyamas and your Scoop Hendersons of the world will definitely show more of the out-and-out out star qualities. I think when you look around the league, you know, there's there's certainly other candidates, uh, other guys that we liked. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about, um, you know, your Jairus Walkers and your Brandon Millers and, of course, your Amon Thompsons, too. But when I look at the the, like, the role that he's going to play, I think that it has a chance to be very clear. And when rookies step into a role that's really clearly defined for them, they are able to meet more success. He's going to have opportunities. I actually think, yes, he will finish in the top three of uh, rookie of the year voting. So I guess this will be our first disagreement. I'm going to say false. Uh, I'll tell you who I think is likely to rank ahead of him. And that's Victor Wembanyama, Scoot Henderson, and I, I don't know if this is a dark horse pick, but is my pick for Rookie of the Year. And that's Chet Holmgren. So, Ooh. Oh, Aaron, I forgot about Chet. Yeah, he's a rookie. He's got that Blake Griffin thing going on, doesn't he? So, I yeah, I've got those three ahead of him. And then I think he falls into, like, that next tier of guys that are probably, like, probably just unfortunately on the outside, even if they do have good rookie years, I just don't think they're going to have the opportunity of those three you know, he fits in there with Jarris Walker, Eamon Thompson, those types of guys. If, if, if Bryn Miller is actually not as bad as he looked in summer league. So I, I think he fits more in there, unfortunately. That doesn't mean he can't have a very good rookie season. And, you know, there's not there's there's a there's still a chance he, he sneaks into that top three. I just think the pathway there for him is a little difficult. I, I will say I forgot about Chet. I forgot that he has rookie of the year eligibility. That does change it for me. Um, but you know what? Screw it. I'm still going to stick with true. Stick to your guns, baby. Pistons. There you go. Um, I thought about Chet in the middle of Jasper's answer, and that did kind of throw a wrench in my true or false, but you know, he, he's still going to have lots of lead up time. He might be on a minutes restriction. It, you know, it, it could really, it, it could be a slow grind for him to be back into playing, you know, significant minutes every single night. So I I don't mind the Asar Thompson pick for top three for rookie of the year. It's it's bold, but, you know, if there's an injury that happens to an already depleted or not really depleted, but an already thin, you know, wing, um, you know, wing room here in Detroit, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's just a guy that you can't really take off the floor. Um Similarly to Mikhail Bridges with Monty Williams in Phoenix, he's a guy that, you know, might just do enough to 
you, you can't really not have him on the floor because he does the little things. He gets up and down, plays defense, um, showed some good stuff in summer league. So bold uh, to have him top three, but I, I agree with Jasper. I think it's still within the realm of possibility. Uh, real quick, Aaron, if Mike had said the top four, would that change your answer? Uh, I probably would have put him in there. I, I, you know, not that it's a lock, but I think it's a greater chance that he ends up in the top four than he does top three. Okay. I was just wondering where you stood on that because like I said, I forgot about the chat thing and that, that changed it for me, but okay, cool. Okay. I, I don't know who has next for answering because I already have my honors push that. Okay. It's Aaron. Okay. So true or false. James Wiseman averages 20 plus minutes per game. God, I hope that's false. Uh, I'm going to say false just off, off of my feelings that I am not a huge James Wiseman guy uh, until he proves otherwise. Uh, if James Wiseman's averaging 20 minutes per game and, you know, Jalen Durr and Isaiah Stewart are on the roster um, to me, that's not, that, that means some things went wrong. Uh, I probably, you know, Marvin Bagley probably has a right to minutes just as much as James Wiseman does too. I think it would be disappointing if James Wiseman would average 20 minutes per game, but I, I, I don't know. We could see it. We, we, we could see it. I almost want to say true with my mind, but false with, with not my mind. So I guess I'm going <laughs> to say false, but I don't feel great about the pick. Oh, I am going to disagree with you on this, Aaron. I am going to say true. And the reason is I don't, believe that the Pistons roster is finalized yet I maybe I misguided maybe I have more belief than I should but I still do think that there is another move to come I still just have such a hard time seeing Marvin Bagley being on this roster to open the season uh, and that's why I will say true I still think you're at the point with Jalen Duran. I'm not sure you want to play him more than 30 minutes a game I do think that there's something to, especially for young athletic big men, to actually limiting their minutes a little bit just to cut down on the wear and tear and take advantage of their athletic advantages. Um, you know, the more you play, the, the harder it is to to recover and keep that advantage. So for me, I'd like to keep Jalen Duran's minutes down a little bit. I do think there will be a little bit of experimenting with those two big lineups as well. So I could see something happening like Jalen Duran playing 29 minutes a game and uh james wiseman playing like 21 and them having about two minutes of overlap i think that that seems to me especially if marvin bagley's on the off the roster and doubly so if isaiah stewart is playing power forward full time i definitely see that happening but i think regardless of whether or not he does hit that he's going to be somewhere in that like 18 to 22 minutes a game range so for added context james wiseman Heisman averaged 25.2 minutes per game last year, just a hair above Jalen Duran's 24.9. Marvin Bagley was ninth. So it, it actually was Wiseman, Duran, Bagley were 7.89 in terms of minutes per game for the Pistons last year. So um, I unfortunately see it as well. I see him getting the 20 minutes, especially with how hell-bent the front office seems to be on getting him playing time to see if there's anything there. Uh, but there, there is a move that, is going to have to be made at some point. Um, there's just too many. There's just too much overlap between all the bigs and all the point guards. Something's going to have to happen. 
um, that could be moving on from Wiseman, that could be moving on from one of the other bigs to give him more minutes. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not an optimal outcome, but Jasper, I, I, I agree with you more that it could be, you know, he goes down to about 20 to 21 minutes per game. Duran gets an uptick, but Wiseman's the primary backup center and, you know, ends up being the guy that takes the brunt of, you know, if Duran's in foul trouble, he just kind of is an innings eater. Or, you know, if the matchup is just not suiting Duran, then Wiseman goes in and just kind of, you know, absorbs some contact for, you know, like 20 to 25 minutes per game. Yeah, I mean, and like, look, I, we can talk about, we know Sadiq Bay's value cratered over the last two years, but like, you made an investment in James Wiseman. You do have, I mean, it's not a super significant one, but you also have like a financial investment in him. You're paying him about the same amount of money as most of the best backup bigs in the league make. Um, and I don't think he's one of the best backup bigs in the league right now. So I think considering that you traded somebody like Sadiq Bay for him uh, and that you are paying him significantly, uh, you know, of course that's all proportional. I think that you kind of have to give him 20 minutes a game. Otherwise that just comes back to the question. Like, why did you trade for him at all? Right. And we, you know, we kind of pounded that drum throughout the year of like, okay, you traded for James Wiseman. Are you going to play him? I mean, because clearly there's clearly you traded something of value for something that we're not sure had any value. So do you plan on trying to extract value and how is that going to work with Durant? So I think that's going to have to happen again this year. They're, they're going to be trying the too big thing for some ungodly reason. And, you know, you're going to see Wiseman get plenty of minutes to try to lift up his value as much as they possibly could. Uh, okay. Let's go on to, I think we only have two more left. Um, and these are both kind of uh, similar questions, but should get some interesting answers. True or false. Bojan Bogdanovich will still be on the roster past the trade deadline. Is this one for me? I think this one's for me. I believe so. I am going to say, once again, against my better judgment, I am going to say true. I think that he is going to be on the roster past the trade deadline. I anticipate the Pistons treading enough water to where they still feel like they can maybe sneak into the play-in game. Um, Or, and this is another thing that I actually had not thought about until right this moment, maybe they do well in those uh, tournament games. Maybe they win three or four and they make the knockout rounds and they actually feel like, hey, this is something we want to win. This is progress for our team and therefore we will keep Boyan Bogdanovich. Uh, There's definitely going to be suitors, but like we've seen this before from Troy Weaver. He's not going to make a move unless he feels like he is getting what he wants from it. So I, yeah, I actually think Boyan Bogdanovich against my better judgment and maybe against common sense will be on the team. I think it's true. Uh, The Pistons need good players. Bogdanovich is a good player. One of their guys that they can rely on to space the floor. One of the few veterans on the roster on a good contract should continue to age just fine for his skill set and what the Pistons need him to do. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's true. I hope it's true. Uh, unless, you know, there's some serious regression in, in his level of play. Um, 
again, I just I feel like I'm in this boat where I almost feel like what Bogdanovich did last year was a bit underrated, and he doesn't get the respect that I feel like he deserves for how good he was last year. Uh, so I'm going to say true because I think it's what the Pistons need. I think the Pistons need a guy like Bogdanovich, so I, I hope he's still on the team past the deadline. You're right, Aaron. He was underrated last year. You're totally right. And yeah, I mean, the thing too, for you look at his contract, they have him under contract for another year. You know, if you ask me, is he on the roster next season? That might change my answer. I could see that changing in the offseason. But yeah, for the reasons you just said, Aaron, he's one of their best shooters. They need him on the floor. And I think they still need him on this roster, even if they're not. I feel like we're going to be inundated with Bogdanovich trade rumors like we were last year for months leading up to the deadline. It's just, it's going to be inevitable again, especially if he continues to shoot well like he did last year. Sort of anchor an offense that was pretty depleted after Cade's injury. We're going to be talking about Bogdanovich trade rumors again for months and months and months. Um, I hope he's still on the roster because that means... um, that means that the business are playing well. So ideally, he's still on the roster. Okay, last, true or false. I didn't really want this to be the last one because it's not very climactic, but it just kind of ended up being that way. Um, true or false. Killian Hayes will still be on the roster past the trade deadline. I don't know if this is the answer that people are expecting. I'm going to say true. I think if he's on this team to start the season, he will finish uh, the season with this team. If if the Pistons can't find someone, can't find a team going into next year that's sort of in a rebuilding fashion, you know, a team like Washington, for example, where they, they can maybe take some flyers on some guys that haven't panned out, kind of like Detroit started doing, uh, you know, a couple of years ago when Troy came in. If they can't find a team that wants to take a flyer on him, I mean, the Pistons – just don't have the minutes right now for Killian Hayes. Odds are minutes open up at various points throughout the years, throughout the season due to injuries. But again, if if they don't have a team now that that wants to take him on, I think it's going to be harder in January or February when Hayes likely isn't in the rotation to get a team to give up anything that matters uh, to take on Killian Hayes. So, I'll say true because if they don't move him before the start of the season, I think he's going to be there at the end of the season. I am going to say false. And even more so than that, I am going to say this. I've I've said it before. I don't believe that their roster is finalized. I do not think Killian Hayes will be on the roster to start the season. And I'm, I'm going to throw that out there. However, like exactly for the reasons you just said, though, Aaron, if he is on the roster to start the season, he will be finishing the the season with the Pistons. I don't see that changing by the deadline. Um, that's just, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really see the playing time. I just don't see how he could possibly work his way into being a viable trade asset in January, at least more than he is now. Um, so, yeah, my my answer is false. He, I don't think he's even going to start the season with the Pistons. But for the same reasons Aaron just said, if he does, then I would anticipate him finishing the season. Okay, guys, that was uh, my little true or false game. Um, I'm, I'm going to withhold the eighth question 
for another date, maybe with some of maybe the next true or false game we play at the flow closer to the season. So we can see what some of these trades look like, how it impacts the Pistons and whatnot. But seven questions. You guys gave me seven good answers each. Um, a little bit of fun, yeah? A little bit, I thought a little it was, bit uh, different I really, from what we normally do. I really enjoyed that. I want to do that again. Yeah, I'm 100%. We, we need our slop. We got to make our own slop, fellas. That, that's, that's what right. I'm really learning. That's I'm 30 now. So, you know, I have a lot of wisdom Oof. in these old bones of mine, uh, these old creaky bones. <laughs> and <laughs> and I have to say, yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, let's absolutely keep doing this because, you know what, even if there isn't a ton of news around the Pistons, there are always storylines with this team. There are so many interesting little tidbits about where they're going. Uh, we just really are in this place where we don't know what the future holds for Detroit. So, yeah, totally right, Aaron. That was fun. Let's keep doing it. I'm planning on it. I am planning on it. All right, guys, good good podcast. We covered the schedule. I'm sure we'll have more thoughts uh, pop up after this podcast. And, you know, for the schedule reveal and all of the news to come hereafter, certainly hope that all of you listeners will join us again as we continue to hurdle towards the beginning of the NBA season. Now it feels more real with the schedule being announced. It just feels like uh, feels like it's on the horizon um, more so than it has before leading, leading up to this day. Um, guys, anything else before we close out this edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast? Good show, gentlemen. It was great to be back on with the both of you. And yeah, I had a lot of fun, a longer episode. We haven't had one this long, probably in a minute, uh, but I thought it was a great yeah. So. Hope to do it again. Uh, yeah, it's Doc Rivers here. I just want to say I'm really looking forward to calling games this year. It should be a great time. Yeah, I actually am. He's... I will say. Shout out Doc Rivers. <laughs> I'm actually excited to hear him call games again. People have said they're oh Doc Rivers. Nah. People, if you remember the Pistons 04 finals run, oh, yeah. uh Doc was freaking awesome in the booth. I'm actually really looking forward to having him back. I think that's what he's best at, if I'm being completely honest. So, yeah, just a small little thing. Um, I also never thought that I would have so much to say about any schedule, including my own. But here we are, <laughs> and I'm happy to talk about it with you guys. So, great stuff. Well, I'm happy to talk about it with you, too, and I'm glad that you had so much to, uh, to talk about. It's good conversation. It's it, it's it's good to um, you know have this bit of banter here between all three of us. You're right. We have not had this long of a podcast in quite some time. Well, guys, that's going to do it for this edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast. I'd like to thank our sponsor this week, that's Bet Online. And of course, if you haven't used Bet Online yet, you can use our promo code Believe B L E A V for a fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit using Bet Online. For my co-hosts Aaron Johnson and Jasper Apollonia, I am Mike Anguilano. Thank you so much for joining us on this edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast, part of the Believe Network, and we will see you all next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.